It's a jackalope carnival. Jack, jack, jackalope. Jackalope carnival. Yar, I'm Eric. And I'm Becca. And today you're listening to Jackalope Carnival, a sideshow of stories, a bi-weekly podcast where we explore the paranormal, the unusual, and the downright odd. But more wonderful than the lore of old men and the lore of books is the secret lore of ocean. Blue, green, gray, white or black, smooth, ruffled, or mountainous. That ocean is not silent. All my days have I watched it and listened to it, and I know it well. Sometimes at twilight, the gray vapors of the horizon have parted to grant me a glimpse of the ways beyond. And sometimes at night, the deep waters of the sea have grown clear and phosphorescent to grant me glimpses of the ways beneath. And these glimpses have been as often of the ways that were and the ways that might be as of the ways that are. For ocean is more ancient than the mountains and freighted with the memories and the dreams of time. The ocean described here by H.P. Lovecraft, creator of one of the most notorious and frightful creatures ever to rise from the sea, the Great Cthulhu, speaks of an ocean that has a persona all its own and allows glimpses of its great mystery to those who spend enough time in contemplation. This may have been how ancient seafarers felt as they ventured across the sea and peered into its unknown depths. Yar. (laughs) did you know there's today there's a specific phobia for um being afraid to look out into the ocean underwater there's a name for it yeah there is do you know it not off the top of my head i just realized that (laughs) when i read when i that's that's a beautiful passage i'm actually not a huge um hp lovecraft fan but that's a really beautiful piece of writing and and i think that you know it does it is very reflective of how one feels at this vastness of ocean that even today with our modern technology, we know that 80% of the world's ocean remain unmapped, unchartered, and unknown. Hmm. That seems pretty wonderfully impossible to me. I don't know. I just know that, that when I'm at hmm? the ocean and I'm staring out into you know, the, the watery abyss, it does give me a peculiar feeling. It's a little unsettling, isn't it? Yep. And so the fact that this is how we feel today, um, it doesn't really come as a surprise that our ancient ancestors probably viewed the sea with respectful fear and awe. So this great awe of its unknownness and its majesty. Um, Words that are also often used to describe God, the great unknown. Yeah, and etc. Right, and actually, oce- uh, oceanic feeling was that? Uh, was that Rudolph Otto? <laughs> I think it was, but I'm like, well, I don't know that song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was Rudolph Otto. That he could was, be. He was singing with Genesis at our, the time. It was right after uh, Peter Gabriel left. I think that can be our yacht rock project, yeah. Rudolph Otto's uh, oceanic <laughs> feeling. <laughs> So early for a band name already. Uh, that's that's less a band name than a concept album, which kind of fits, honestly. Yeah, and, and it would be. I think it would be just terrible, and we should definitely. Make it that. would. It would have no. <laughs> well, actually, it's not true. There's there's plenty of boomers out there. All right. 
So basically, you know, for for seafaring ancients, and it really didn't matter if they were from north, south, east, or west, um, when they encountered new creatures, this would have held the potential for the seeds of myth. Because who else but monsters could survive alone and so far into the unforgiving sea? And if not mythological in the encounter, it would gain the aura of myth in the minds of those who were not there, who couldn't really grasp this description of this monster or whatever creature they had come upon. So, you know, when your friend tells you something and you're trying to grasp it, it's a little different than the original story. Yeah, when you tell it to the next person, kind of like that telephone game. Sure. And to be fair, right, there are in encrypted episodes past we have talked about, and I think we're going to do this again. Like, what are the animals known to science that are often trotted out as here's what you really saw instead of X, right? We think of like the, uh, you know, the sandhill crane that's brought up anytime there's a flying cryptid or um, owls are often used in the same kind of way with bears and, you know, Bigfoot and things like that. I'm just here. It was a sea owl. You don't know what you're talking about. It was clearly a sea owl. And a sea crane and a sea bear. No, but here's the thing, right, is that there really are rather monstrous looking, rather non- you know, very far divorced from humanity creatures. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the this, that would be the first thing I would think of is like, this can't be, you know, this can't be within the realm of the everyday. You have like oarfish that are legit looking, you know, sea serpents. You have. You know what I was reading today that I didn't. They, there were reports that oarfish, they swim like a seahorse. Meaning. Like how seahorses go up and down. How about <laughs> that? I had no idea. I thought that was really interesting um, that they kind of curl up their bottom. Who knows if this is true? Uh, there's a lot of things out there. I didn't verify it, but I, I liked it. And then, so. of course, the first pictures of giant squid have occurred in our lifetime, right? When we were kids, like nobody had actually taken a picture of a live giant squid. So, you know, through the centuries and across cultures, these legends of sea creatures have been told and forgotten. So there's been so many that perhaps an encounter with a whale was first seen as a, you know, Leviathan, just throwing that out there. Mm. Um, But then they became normal and these stories started to fade. Maybe not. Maybe they were so fanciful that eventually they were just thought of. But the one that seems, one of the ones that seems to have held our collective imagination the longest is the Kraken. And it's also one of the most fearsome. Um, Eric, this is where I need you to yell, release the Kraken! Release (laughs) the Kraken! That was so dramatic. Good job. You're welcome. Um, Now, this term has recently taken on unfortunate political and (laughs) conspiracy-centered meanings. Um, I'm reclaiming it. I'm reclaiming it back to its cheesy and out-of-context geeky origins as a quote from Clash of the Titans. Both, I was glad to know, 1981 and 2010. <laughs> I recently rewatched that in its cheesy glory. And the stop motion is still my favorite part of the whole thing. Yeah. But I have to say that as a child, that that misled me. It made me think that Kraken was part of Greek mythology, but it's Absolutely not. Absolutely right? not. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can. I mean, Yes. They, but it's not now. Considering it's Nordic and absolutely not Greek, um, the word, the etymological roots of the word kraken, um, actually do non surprisingly not lie in Greek, um, but they do in Norse. And so I'm told it means crooked. It's crook, and it means crooked. 
And maybe it's alluding to these waving tentacles that krakens are supposed to have to be able to lure their ships and pull them to their watery graves. That's some crack research work you did there. (laughs) Crack. Not to be mistaken for crack. All right. So, you know, they're interesting creatures. They have shown up in literature Uh, The word, the name Kraken is not always attached. What's really interesting about the Kraken is that there are different descriptors. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. The first record we have of this just colossal, and especially in the earlier ones, they get less colossal. So they start (laughs) out as being like, this beast is ginormous to this is still really big but not quite that big wait so that's kind of reverse right that's that's kind of reverse the telephone game like the earliest uh, stories have them big and then the stories shrink them you know and that might be because it's not quite like well that doesn't sound likely but i still believe in the kraken so (laughs) maybe you know perhaps it's to fit into something more realistic Uh, who knows um so the first written records we have are written by, and I'm going to butcher this because now I'm stuck with Norwegian names, and that is a territory I have never gone before. So King Svar of Norway, um, S-V-E-R-R-E, for those of you who are going to correct my Norwegian. Bridget, we need you to chime in on this one, please. Yeah. And the beast he describes was said to have patrolled the waters around Norway, Iceland, and Greenland. And while Savar wrote of other monsters, the tales of the legend that we're associating, maybe proto-Kraken, captured the imaginations in a way that pushed all the other beasts to the corners of history. They're gone. And And your prog rock, hmm? your heavy prog rock band name of the episode, um, a la Uriah Heep, is proto-Kraken. Thank you. Oh, man, a proto kraken mm-hmm. doing the uh, Rudolph Auto. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't touch that. No, one. no, no. That would be too. They wouldn't even be seen in the same room. No way. They wouldn't touch that one. Mm-hmm. That's just our. All right. So you know, maybe it's because th- this one is based on fact. So we can look in and say maybe there's a basis in the kraken legends that weren't there in tales of other sea monsters, and that t- seems to be the most common belief. So while seafarers and landlovers alike may have found evidence of the Kraken in encounters or washed up remains, it wasn't until a few hundred years later that we find popular written report of this Kraken-like sea beast. And this is when Bishop, oh, here I go again. <laughs> now, we're, now, we're, now we're mangling Swedish. Bishop Olus Magnus of Sweden, um, he creates a a book and a map. So first he creates this woodblock map and you can find it online. It's called Carta Marina in 1539. Then he does a companion book titled, now I'm going to massacre Latin, Historia <laughs> de Gentibus Septentralibus. Yeah, that was Anyway, I have I, a I, I have study. a Latin uh, book too, and I can only study so many languages, folks. <laughs> That's I do have Latin teachers um, amongst my friend group, so I will check in. Although I'm told by my Latin teaching friends that we actually don't have any real understanding of how ancient Latin, at least, was pronounced. I don't know about medieval Latin, you know, like European Latin, though. Uh, maybe they do have a better sense of that one. Well. That's fascinating. He would have known because, again, he's a bishop. He's actually living in Rome when he makes this map. There you go. Um, 
And because we know he's in Rome, he was probably inspired by the illustrated maps of the Mediterranean during the Renaissance. And these maps, basically here be monsters. These maps would commonly be illustrated with, you know, pictures of sea beasts. They probably weren't the maps that people were using to navigate the ocean. These were probably maps that people were using to have in their homes. They were beautifully illustrated. And he was more than likely inspired by this. And he's the first person to create this kind of map for Scandinavia. So he's Swedish. He probably misses home and creates this map of Scandinavia, writes this book that describes the Northern peoples and their sea creatures. And he describes this kraken as saying it has a skin which looks like gravel on the seashore so that men are tempted when it appears on the surface to think it's an island and to land on it and to light fires and basically cook dinners. <laughs> so there's that kraken hanging out, looking like a good place to barbecue. Wow. That's a tricky kraken. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. When I say barbecue, cause I live in the South, I'm talking about barbecue, not grilling burgers. That would be a cookout here in North Carolina. Anyhow, <laughs> that's an important, now that we've had my North that's Carolina. An important distinction. Lesson. Thank you very much. That's important. Mm -hmm. This kraken, you know, at this point, it's it's an island and it's enormous and it's, <laughs> you know, just can take half a. But Becca, hmm? have you ever thought that maybe the kraken got hurt, and a rock feels no pain? An island <laughs> never cries. It, I'm gonna guess the unlike an island that never cries, a kraken would. Yeah, sad kraken is your is your meme of the day. Sad Kraken. Mm -hmm. So the Kraken and Kraken-like beasts, they finally solidify into what we think of eh, kind of as the Kraken in 1752. And when the Bishop of Bergen, Eric Ono Ponto Pidian, I think I got that, wrote his natural history of Norway. And he describes the Kraken as incontestably the largest sea monster in the world with a width of one and a half miles. Wow. Yeah. So it's not quite as big as Magnus. Well, Magnus had said, but it's still pretty big. I mean, you could have a one and a half mile island, I think. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd, I'd take my barbecue and put it <laughs> on a one and a half mile island. Well, so he's streamlining the Kraken. It's smaller, but it's still massive. It can still eat a whole mess of sailors and its giant mom. <laughs> I feel but, like streamlining mm -hmm. the Kraken is like some like some uh, new catchphrase in like the business world. Like if we're well, if we could streamline the Kraken with this one, yeah, it probably is. It's probably a new conspiracy theory. I, I fear that. Oh no, I was thinking like <laughs> synergy. You know, like we if we could the, synergize the streamlining synergy, the Kraken, the synergy of the Kraken, right? Yeah, yeah. streamlining the Kraken. That's what I was thinking. Itinerate, itinerate the synergy of the Kraken. So. <laughs> Despite the fearsome and business-like <laughs> reputation of the Kraken, uh, it could also bring benefit to people. So there are things that, you know, if you're out on a sailing ship, if a Kraken passes by you, but it also has fish, it's chased them towards you. So you have pretty good luck if you can avoid the Kraken, but also get these fish that are just cascading down its back as it's passing you by. Hmm. You know, the Kraken of old seems to have some descriptions that seem to be a little bit confusing, and there might be a good reason for this. And that is, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever used this analogy, they talk about the story of the blind men, they're describing the elephant, and each one gets a different 
part of the elephant and they say, you know, the one who gets the tail says this creature is snake-like and the one who gets the foot says this creature has a trunk. It's like a tree trunk, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. it, it could simply be that different people caught different glimpses. Um, but, and you're saying, wait, you're talking about this like it's real. Well, what people believe today, historical descriptions of the Kraken, they think that they really do seem quite a bit like a giant squid. They think that the eyes of the giant squid are the size of a human head. These creatures can be up to, to be fair, and like Eric, you said earlier, we don't actually know that much about giant squids because we're just now starting to get, I think there's been a couple of smaller species specimens that were caught and then flash frozen and sent to museums right away <laughs> and to then put on display. birds i put them out to your supermarket um yeah. do you know, are you familiar with the word globster this is a this is yeah, a great word i've heard that recently but why don't you explain it right globster is the name the catch-all name for things that wash up on shore that were once alive but they've reached such a state of decomposition that they're no longer identifiable and so they're kind of just known as globsters and they could be anything from like a marlin fish to like, you know, a basking shark to a whale or whatever, because you can't tell, right? It's, it's just a, it's a globster. It's a globster, <laughs> right? So a lot, I, you know, it seems like it would seem logical to me at least that a lot of the giant squid would come ashore as globsters, if anything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, they just, they don't know as much as we'd like to, but they do think that they can get up to 55 feet in length. That's scary. So while not a mile and a half, still <laughs> really, really large. And I mean, who knows, hundreds of years ago, you know, we've, we know that the ocean has been having some problems <laughs> with uh, climate change. So who knows if there were creatures that were larger or how large they would have seemed, seemed to people. Um, the the mouth of a squid seems to collate with stories that they talk about of this crab-like mouth because, mm. of course, squids have that, I don't want to say beak. It basically. is a beak. So they have a hard beak. It's a beak. And so that seems to check um, the arms, the tentacles. Now, sometimes people think it's been a giant octopus. But it seems to be that more evidence that we found, we, like I've been doing this research on, (laughs) (laughs) that that I've found. Um, No, but that more research has been found, it it really does point to that it was more than likely really actually a giant squid. Right. And my understanding is like the largest octopi, nope, octopuses. 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 Yeah, we've been down this road. Um, The largest octopuses do not get anywhere near the size of the largest squids. And there are are several species that get pretty large. That we know. 80% of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, touche. But like, you know, the the known species of squid, like Humboldt squid, colossal squid, and giant squid all get enormous. Whereas like the Pacific giant octopus is still something, you know, you could hold in your arms. Yeah. And the the thing is, is with the giant squid, I believe, and I might have this fact wrong, so feel free to correct me anyone, but I believe that one's actually longer where the colossal squid is actually heavier. Hmm. So that's why I think they say giant squid, because that one actually is longer in length while not as heavy. Gotcha. As the colossal squid. I wanted to get a little more into the octopus um, that they have found as a lobster but before we do that i'm gonna let you talk about your beast which is 
your beasts start around around the same time. And not only the same century. Right. The same time and the same place. Like apparently we're going to be doing um, Nordic and um, Scandinavian sea monsters today. Who knew? But there we go. Because I'm going to be talking about something called the monkfish, um, a.k.a. the sea bishop or bishop fish. Okay. And this is a creature that there are several call them calling them historical accounts um, is probably reaching a little bit right I mean because these aren't these aren't like multiply sourced like primary sources type things but rather we have three accounts of a some kind of fish coming ashore either called a sea bishop a bishop fish uh, you know something of that nature sea um, um, bishop olus magnus fish sorry you can just throw it all in there put it I in just the want bucket. to say magnus again Eric I'm really sorry do your thing <laughs> Do your thing. Go crazy, Becca. Um, yeah. So the first one uh, is actually, I mean, I'm going chronological order here of the the three accounts. The first one is speaking of, you know, actually, come to think of it, I have a number of people living in Scandinavian countries. Um, I have a friend in Iceland. Hi, Shara. I have a friend in Norway. Um, hi, Bridget. And I have a friend who speaks Danish. Um, so there you have it. All of all, any one of these people can correct me because I too do not speak any Scandinavian language, unlike my three friends. So apparently, there's a place called Orsund, which is in between modern Denmark and Sweden. And this is the first account. And we end up getting an example. This is around somewhere between like the 1540s, 1550s. They're not entirely sure when this account is from. But the creature is about eight feet long, so bigger than a human by quite a bit. And it has fins, including a tail fin. It has a black head. And this is actually kind of interesting. It has scales, and the mouth is on the underside. But it is enough like a monk that they call it a sea monk or a monk fish. Okay. I mean, obviously, that's a really weird-looking monk. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the monks I know. His mouth was on the underside. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. Everyone knows that monks have their mouths on the top of their heads. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. it doesn't That doesn't quite fit any known fish either, right? Because yeah. that's – the thing about, about squids and octopuses too, for that matter, is they're not fish. They're, they're mollusks, right? Yeah. They're cephalopods. Cephalopods. Mollusks, yeah. And they don't have scales. So the fact that this creature had scales, you know, kind of that disqualifies it from being a squid. Also, sharks, which is another, um, you know, sharks are sharks are fish, but they're not they're not fish that have bones um, made out of the same kind of things as other vertebrates, and they don't tend to have what we think of a scaly skin either. So we're not really sure what this animal was, and if that was the beginning and end of it, we would just maybe chalk it up to. You know, somebody wrote down something weird, you know, back in 1550, but that wasn't the end of it because another 16th century account and to 16th century Poland, something washed up on shore. It was brought to the king. I guess that's that's the protocol back then. Something weird shows up. You take it to the king. Um, it, would be, it would be good to be king. <laughs> Do you have like weird stuff Wednesday where like your subjects like <laughs> bring you all the weird stuff they find? Like, like try to compete. <laughs> right. I, I have, have two headed calf. I have a potato that looks like the face of your queen. You know? <laughs> right. 
Awesome. Right. But so they here they come dragging the monkfish in um, in the 16th century. And the king wants to keep it. Because, again. Yeah. Because, you know, I guess they don't have a lot going on in 16th century Poland. So he gathers his local bishops. And they come to examine the uh, the. I guess this one is more a bishop fish, really. And bishop fish because its head resembles a bishop's miter. So you know, like the big pointy hat, um, you know, most famously worn by the bishop of Rome. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. I cannot picture what this fish looks like. <laughs> like I am. I can now see that theory of how the kraken was described many times by many people because I cannot. You're describing this fish, and I'm like, I, no, it's not computing in my head. Well, this one is. This one's uh, not exactly the same as the other one. Um, okay, but it has a pointy head, so it, it, that might immediately make you think squid, shark, or shark. I mean, it was. It, where was its mouth on this one? Um, this account did not list the place of where the mouth was. And in fact, seems to imply that it was rather human looking, actually. Okay. And so had a rather human looking face. When the bishops got there to examine it, uh, the fish starts gesturing that it wants to go back to the water. So the bishops are like, hey, um, you know, let's take it back to the water. And I think they're starting to think that this this might actually be like one of their religious brethren, you know. So they bring the the... They bring this this uh, monkfish back, and it makes the sign of the cross, um, and then disappears into the waves. So the story goes. And so that's our second account in Poland. But that's not the last one. The last one is in one of the German-speaking parts of Central Europe um, in 1531, specifically. And this is my favorite one because it, <laughs> it has religious history overtones, which just, I, just cracked me up. Cracking me up. Um, <laughs> thanks. Cracking you up. Yep. Love it. There we go. And this one was brought to, was dragged inland. And I think the king was also involved, although I don't have that in my notes, but I seem to remember that. Maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? Maybe I just added to the lore myself. But the thing is, they kept this one for three days and it died. Now, here's the thing that makes me think that if there's anything at all to this account, that is weird because... Um, a shark is not going to live three days out of water. No, I don't care what kind of shark you have. Um, and then I had to look up for for the show, like how long does it take a squid to die out of water? And it turns out that squids can't live for an hour out of water either. So three days alive out of water, that's, I don't know what they dragged out of the waves, but it wasn't a, a squid or a shark. The interesting thing about this one is this one looked enough like a monk. And it apparently had on its person thing, its body, something that looked enough like a monk's habit. That it Man, there were some ugly monks. <laughs> well, you know, that breathed water, apparently. So <laughs> the best part of this one is the king's worried about the religious implications of this thing. Like he's worried that because it's 1531 in the German speaking, you know, world, Martin Luther just happened. Yeah. And so there, he's afraid that this monk is going to stir the pot. Word will get out that like there's a Catholic bishopric under the sea that, you know, this monk is from and he's coming to tell like the fact that the one true religion, perhaps, you know, whatever. Under and, the sea. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And so the king is like, bury it, bury it right now. Like get rid of it because we got enough problems going on around here. He orders this thing buried. 
Um, and that so there's our three accounts of these so-called monkfish or bishop fish. What can we call them? I guess just like fish of clergy, religious clergy orders? fish. Clergy fish. Sure. Why not? Well, I mean, not all monks are clergy. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we both jumped on that one. <laughs> I'm calling it clergy fish. I don't care. Fair enough. Although we both know that not all monks are clergy. Most monks are Re- not. Religious fish. Uh, I don't know. Fish of fish of owl? Vow fish? Um Fish yeah. order of fish. I don't think. I think. I don't think we're going to come up with a. That could be one of the things we could get some communication on if people want to go sure. on our Instagram, which Chime happens in. to be at Jack Lip Carnival, and leave some suggestions of what kind of fish you would name it. Also, correct our mispronunciation, please, um, because we would. Oh, pre- ouch! But if they have to do it and they have to do it by text, I still won't be able to pronounce it. Well, maybe they could spell it out phonetically, like they That's do. Possible. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Well, okay. So this, interesting enough, right? We have we have this uh, string of three um, odd accounts from the 16th century in Europe. Um, all three of these seem to be connected by the North Sea, right? Um, they make their way into the Historie Animalium, which is an impressive. I, this sent me on a little bit of a jackalope hole this week. Well, did you know the Kraken also made its way there? No kidding. Yeah. Did you look up what the Historia Animalium was? I did. And you'll notice that it's written by Conrad Gessner, in fifth, and it's published in 1558. And the Historia Animalium is a multi-volume, over a thousand pages of descriptions of animals. And he really does make an effort to try to separate... Um, fact from fiction. And since we're doing that, I should say proto-Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> proto-Kraken. I just, I feel like it should be, uh, it should be something really heavy. Like proto-Kraken will make music that would be like, every song is eight minutes long. Like King Crimson's early work. I'm th- that's... Uh, but darker. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So go, oh, sorry. I, we digress. We do. Uh, so anyway, uh, Historia Animalium by Conrad Gessner. There's scans of some of the pages. They're amazing. You should look them up. They're on the internet. Um, the pictures are fantastic. And although it has most, mostly animals that are known well to science, um, that being said, he does include the kraken and he does include the monkfish. Here's the thing. He actually also warns people away from a fake animal he calls June de Avers. Now, I know I just messed that one up, but basically um, something that translates to the youth of Antwerp in French, apparently. And I know I, I, I completely didn't. And I think we're just at this point just teasing our um, European audience to please contact us to correct <laughs> me murder this word i can totally say (laughs) reach out to us because we love you and we do bonjour (laughs) please correct me we do appreciate you but the best part of the jeunes de aver is that um by the time it reaches the the shores of uh england people start calling them jenny haviers (laughs) 
That sounds about right. <laughs> Je- Jenny, like J-E-N-N-Y, like yeah. Jenny. Um, and what these are, what these creatures are, is they're actually um, dried sharks, like angel sharks, bottom-dwelling sharks, that people like, mummify and then shape them into fake creatures to sell to, like, the dupes, you know, the tourists, you know? And so you can buy these apparently on the streets, and what they are is just manipulated bodies. Of I mean, animals. really early jackalopes, early wolpertingers, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's right. That's right. Or we, we were talking earlier about, um, before the show, we were talking about the Fiji mermaid, um, which I don't think we're going to have time to get, get into. That was a similar type of thing, you know, kind of like a, a, a fake sea fanciful creature type of thing. Fun taxidermy, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then you said that the, the Fiji mermaid is basically one of these type of things where people are selling them to tourists. Well, the original Fiji mermaid, of course, the one that was famous was the one made famous by P.T. Barnum in the 19th century mm-hmm. in his yes. museum in New York. That was basically a monkey sewed onto a fish. And you had said that there were in Japan, they were selling these type of things to well, tourists. That's where it came from. So in Japan, there is another, I mean, since we're speaking of fanciful um, aquatic creatures and speaking of people who make fanciful taxidermies of aquatic creatures, there is a creature in Japanese lore. It's roughly analogous to the European mermaid. It's called a ningyo supposed to be like a, a hybrid of a fish and a, and a human being. The pictures I saw, though, from the Japanese woodcuts, you know, if you're thinking like, you know, beautiful woman fishtail type of thing or like Ariel from The Little Mermaid, like it's not that. Like it's like a fish with like a vaguely human face and it's a little um, unsettling. And so apparently some people who lived close to the water would do this. They would take monkeys and they would sew fish, you know, and monkeys together um, please, please don't do that. That's not nice. Um, but they would sell them to people. And a ship's captain got a hold of one in the 19th century. And then, of course, he gets to New York and he sells it to P.T. Barnum. And so these Ningyo fanciful taxidermies from, from Japan get turned into the Fiji mermaid once they get into the hands of P.T. Barnum. And then from there, people who see P.T. Barnum's Fiji mermaid, they go and get their – they make their own. And so in dime, you know, museums around the country or in sideshows around the country, people make their own Fiji mermaids, which are basically just that. Well, that is how we get, again, the jackalope, something similar. <laughs> right. So here we go. We got ningos, Fiji mermaids, monkfish, bishopfish, and krakens. That's what you got this week. Thank you all for listening. And hopefully in two weeks, you'll come back and listen to another one of our episodes. We'll be um, glad. We really do appreciate your li- listenership. We do. And please do correct all of our mispronunciations as we make lots of them. Take care, <laughs> folks. Jackalope Carnival. When I was born, born I was pledged to the sea, with a far-longing gaze and a wish to be free. My heart was unblemished like the whitest lily, till the kraken she loved me. Oh, she came from the deep, oh, she came from the sea, the kraken she loved me.
I said, sail, sail with the men and their pet chimpanzee. Many days in the way, so we couldn't foresee. A tranquil voyage was just not to be. Because the Kraken, she loved me. Oh, she came from the deep. Oh, she came from the sea. The Kraken, she loved me. With a gurgle of waves, a whale of banshee. A monstrous lass had emerged from the sea. A heap of tentacles had my Rosalie. She's the Kraken who loved me. Oh, she came from the deep. Oh, she came from the sea. The Kraken, she loved me. She embraced me timbers and ate the monkey. I thought I was done for, but she didn't agree. She gazed in my eyes, lusty calamari. Like the Kraken who loved me. Oh, she came from the deep, oh, she came from the sea, the Kraken, she loved me. My life, it was saved, my heart now happy, riding away is how it will be. Farewell to the shore, I'm finally free, with my Kraken, Rosalie. Oh, she came from the deep and I've no wish to flee, the Kraken who loved me. The Kraken, Kraken who loved me. me. It is a big, they have a hard beat. It's a big.